Hello, and welcome to Capital Insight. I'm here with Michelle Timish and our guest, Fabi Jacobs, who is a wonderful investor based in New York that I've gotten to know through an organization that we're both involved with. So, Babby, thank you so much for joining us. And we would just love to hear your story of how you decided to become an investor. What led you to be uh, an angel investor? Well, thanks so much for having me, Jenny and Michelle. I've really enjoyed your podcast and, and working with you and the amazing work you're doing in uh, supporting entrepreneurs. So I came in um, sort of in an inadvertent way. I moved to Brooklyn in 2013 from Alaska, and my background had been in philanthropy. I had worked with the Alaska Community Foundations and many of the nonprofits and people who were investing in supporting the infrastructure there. And I moved to New York to work for a small organization called Boulder Giving, and um, as in B-O-L-D not B-O-U-L-D-E-R, <laughs> and uh, really got to know some remarkable philanthropists, people who were, you know, in the giving pledge, giving away 20 to 50% of their net wealth, getting up at the crack of dawn to talk to entrepreneurs in the Cote d'Ivoire, to South America, and really, really strategic in their philanthropic arenas and but they really weren't paying much attention to what they were doing with their investments frankly as smart and as compassionate and kind and capable as this group was they were intimidated by their investment advisors and really didn't have a handle on how they could be leveraging their philanthropic dollars and sometimes even investing things that were undermining the things that they valued in the environment and supply chain and treatment of our fellow humans. So I got involved with a group called Investor Circle at the time, invited to do some work together on how you could make an impact philanthropically and with direct investing into small startup entrepreneurs. And I fell in love with the community. It was a, a group of people with shared values and compassionate hearts and minds and wanting to really see these investors succeed. So it's really through community that I got involved and still remain involved. We're now Social Venture Circle and I'm the chair of the New York chapter. And I just, I have to say that these are my people. These are my friends. We've been to each other's weddings and fundraisers and taken bike trips together when you walk into a room at a law office and half of us have our bike helmets and meet for lunch and give each other hugs and can't wait to see each other till the next time it's it's they're my kind of folks so it's about community for me because this is intimidating work there's a lot to learn and the nice thing about doing it in community is everybody brings their strengths when we uh, find an entrepreneur that we believe in we work with other organizations to try to provide support and to learn more about the company through due diligence. But some people are good with talking to the competitors. Some are good at talking to the customers. Some are great at reading the financials. And so it's all about community for me. I love that approach. I love that you focus on everybody having some different things to bring to the table. It certainly makes direct investing a lot 
less intimidating when you have a, a group of people who can help you vet the kinds of offerings. Um, in terms of your kind of evaluation approach, when you're looking at an investment opportunity, what, what are the things that you like to focus on and take on as your piece? What, what's your comfort level? Well, first I have to disclose that I fall for the, the entrepreneurs. I, I get very attached to these entrepreneurs and it makes it all the more meaningful when I can picture Tanya on the other end of a text and Donnell and Carrie and Kelly and just these amazing, brilliant entrepreneurs. So that's what draws me in. I have to say I'm sector agnostic because I never knew I would care about fish feed and water purification. But these entrepreneurs open your eyes to these incredible opportunities to make a difference in sometimes very simple solutions, sometimes very complex solutions. So as far as what I like to focus on, I like to focus on relationships again. I like to see how they work with their team, how they work with their, how they make their hiring practices, how they work with their suppliers and, and are they respectful of the supply chain and being mindful of their mission? Are they, what are the other investors like? Are they also focused on impact? Because that's not always the case. I feel very protective of these entrepreneurs. And I think that's the other thing I love about social venture circle is, you know, during the time of COVID and I can talk more about this, um, this group of investors in March, right after the shutdown, when we didn't know if our bank accounts were going to be frozen, if we were going to have, be able to get milk next week. I mean, who knew when COVID started? This group not only jumped on a call by the end of March, and we divided up the list of entrepreneurs that we had invested in, and each one of us reached out and called these entrepreneurs to first and foremost ask how they were doing, how were their families doing, and how could we help? And this group of people started writing checks. Uh, not only did they not pull back, but they stepped forward and stepped up and said, you know, we're not going to let Oriana fail in San Diego. She's so close to closing a deal with her program that we're not going to let her down. So this group of people started writing checks. So in a long answer to your short question, my favorite part is focusing on the relationships, how they interact with their customers, their employees, their supply chain, and uh, their investors. So that's that's my favorite piece. I leave the financial analysis to people who yeah. are much better at that than I. Yeah, I really, I really love that too because what you're, what you're, what you're emphasizing is something that I think we all know, but maybe don't recognize that we know, which is people show you who you are. It's your job to pay attention, and you've found both joy and reward and progress in focusing on what people do have to offer and what they bring to the table. So I think that's a very common first step in, in getting comfortable. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's a long-term relationship. This isn't a one-off deal and you sit and wait for the returns. This is a long-term relationship. Chances are this entrepreneur is going to have to make some changes to their business. I mean, who knows what's going to happen if pandemic could hit uh, their, 
kids could need funding to go to college. Uh, they may decide that the product that they had initially designed is is much better used in a different market. So we, I look at this as a long-term relationship. I want an entrepreneur to know that I'm in their corner if they want to call me with tears of joy or, or sorrow and heartache, I want to be there for them. So I think um, who you invest in and who you allow to invest in your company, because it's a privilege to be able to be involved with these folks, whether this business is a, a success. And we all know that not every business is going to make it, but I feel good about every single business I've ever invested in because I believe in these entrepreneurs. And if they don't do something in this round, they'll do something in the next round. And they've learned a lot along the way. I love that. I, I agree. When I invest in a business that doesn't make it and I lose all my money, I never feel bad because I think, you know what, they did good stuff with that money. They learn. Now they're going to go on to do something else amazing. So, so Babby, I would love to hear an example. It sounds like you've invested in a bunch of amazing businesses. Do you want to share one story of an entrepreneur that came along and, you know, just did a great job of of showing you why they were investable and, and you had a great experience? Boy, it's hard to pick just one because I think they're all terrific. Uh, the first one that comes to my mind would be Tanya Van Court with Goal Setter. Uh, Tanya is a remarkable woman who is African-American, went to Stanford and then worked for Nickelodeon and lives in Brooklyn and took her experience and created a financial literacy app for kids. Unfortunately, there's only seven states at the time in the country that required financial literacy. And as many of us know, that's one of the number one indicators out of poverty. And she designed an app that kids could use to learn about financial issues from grades K through 12, and every week she would have a different app using Nickelodeon skills with memes and pop stars and rap artists, and they could set goals with these, and instead of having someone show up at your child's birthday party with 20 toys that they don't need, don't want, you don't want to have to pick up or put leave around the house, a child could say, I want to save for space camp, I want to save for horseback riding lessons, but pick something tangible that people could actually give towards. So I, I think the world of Tanya, I love getting her text messages. She'll text me on a Memorial Day weekend and I'll say, Tanya, do you really want to talk? She's got three kids at home and she'll say, I have to share something that just happened to me. And sometimes she's thrilled and sometimes she just needs a friendly voice to listen. I have to say it's been really disheartening to be with her on this journey for the struggles that she's had being an African-American woman. I've seen companies come out of Silicon Valley with people with less to offer and less expertise, raising massive amounts of money. The challenges of a woman are, are pretty monumental and especially being a woman of color. So She's been in all the right places. She's on the tips of the tongues of all the bankers and she's been in the incubators and she's been in the, all the different spaces, but 
still uh, some of the male entrepreneurs get more funding more quickly. And, and that's been really disheartening to watch. Yeah. I, I mean, that's women are part of the group, uh, particularly women of color that we feel the most for as well. And like to support when you are talking to those entrepreneurs, what kinds of advice do you think is most helpful for them in, in this pursuit? I mean, obviously we're all working toward changing the ecosystem so that it is easier for people like Tanya to get the funding that she needs. But what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are going through that right now and coming up against some of those biases that are just built into our finance ecosystem as it exists today? Well, I wish I had simple answers because it's not an easy answer. I think a lot of the work that we're doing, working with groups like yourselves who are creative out of the box thinkers, I think it's my job as a investor who cares about these entrepreneurs to know that about some resources that I can share with them. Um, I want to make sure that every investor, every entrepreneur that comes through our network is better off for having known us, that we will have open doors, that we will introduce them to people, whether we invest or not, that we will be a resource available to them and we'll make any introductions that we can. So I think the best thing I can do is know investors that are interested and care and paying attention to this space and be sure to make those introductions. But unfortunately, there is no simple answer. But Jenny can can attest that through uh, the social venture circle network, we have several working groups. And one of them is working on a project called restorative investing. And what we're really trying to do is to during the time of COVID, we've all realized that, you know, we knew that the financial wealth gaps were there, but it's now so glaringly apparent that we are trying to find ways to enter into relationship with an entrepreneur that isn't so extractive. So the, the people who are fortunate that the money don't end up making more of it off the backs of the entrepreneurs. So we've created, we're starting a library of investment opportunities of not opportunities, but terms of ways that our recent one was Tonka bar, which is a pemmican Buffalo based energy bar. And it took several years for, them to get the funding with foundations, with great investor groups. Candide was with them every step of the way. And it's a, it's a much more equitable investment. So at the end of the day, the Buffalo ranchers benefit. The corporation ends up being owned by the indigenous community that founded it. The employees are indigenous. The board members are indigenous. And the white people don't walk away with the proceeds. So as uh, you and I have already talked about offline is we've got a lot of work to do. It's not just about extractive debt and equity where the entrepreneur gets several years into their business and owns less than 20% because the investors have taken up the majority. It's about we need to find other ways to invest alongside that benefit the community that we're investing in. And that means not only creating a library, but taking that library to the incubators, to the colleges, to the venture capitalists, so that the entrepreneurs and the investors know that there are different ways of doing things that are 
much more restorative and not extractive. So we've got a lot of work to do. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about terms, you know, um, so many entrepreneurs focus on kind of who their investors are and are their investors supportive. Sometimes they'll even say, I want just women investors, but sometimes they forget that what's probably even more important than who your investors are, at least equally as important, is what is what are the terms of the investment? And kind of your typical angel or VC term sheet often is, you know, kind of built for a certain kind of business with a certain trajectory and really is built to put the investors ahead of everyone and make sure they get rewarded as quickly as possible. So I would just love to hear more about your thoughts about kind of creative term sheets and how we can start to get those more, you know, disseminated among investors so that we can start to um, have some more diverse options. And I know one of the biggest things I hear from investors is like, well, it's just really better to do something standard, you know, like we, we all have agreed that these term sheets work, so let's not reinvent the wheel. So what, what are you hearing about investors' willingness to be more creative? Yeah, and when you say investors say these terms work, we have to look at who they're working for. And uh, as we know, it's, it's time to redistribute the wealth a little bit. So maybe they're working for the investor, but are they really working for the entrepreneurs who really are the ones who should be benefiting, not people who were privileged enough to write the checks. But I, that's where I'm excited to know people like yourselves, the, the main street the sort of crowdfunding opportunities that you're providing so that more people can get involved so that we can uh, sort of democratize this so that if I don't happen to have a lot of funds, I can still participate and invest in something that I care about without losing my savings account. And obviously we can't protect people completely, but I think uh, investors are a little more open than they used to be uh, realizing that there's crowdfunding opportunities, that there's revenue sharing and that it really is about dialogue. That's one of the things I loved about having the folks from the Tonka bar talking to us, they said, we didn't sit on the other side of a marble desk in a law office. We got one lawyer, we sat in a circle and we worked out terms that were beneficial to everyone involved. So it's not to say you're a farmer and I want X percent of your revenue 12 months out of the year. I have to realize that you're not going to have 12 good months of revenue. I, there has to be a lot of trust involved. And that's, you know, what you were and I were talking about, Michelle, is it's about relationships. So we have a terrific group and I have to defend the men. I got to say that the men in our group are, are some of the kindest, most wonderful souls and advocates for women entrepreneurs. So I would I would not exclude these men from any of the investments because they really believe in, in supporting women and understand that women have been um, left out of this equation as F communities of color. So let's see, where was I going with that? Anything else about creative term sheets and the acceptability of them <laughs> among angel investors, mission yeah, investors? Just, just that, that these guys are the, 
the investors are realizing that, you know, we don't necessarily want to, you know, the typical investment term is I expect a two to three X return in five to seven years. Well, maybe we don't want that entrepreneur to sell that business. Why would we force them to give up a business that they've put their heart and soul into, which may not be beneficial for them or for us? So are there ways that they can, if I've heard on some of your terrific podcasts of ways that they can build in an exit uh, for the investor, not the entrepreneur, that they can, I love some of the creative ideas that you've discussed, that people can get a percentage for a certain number of years. I mean, this is a, this is a wide open field. We just need to enter into a trusted relationship with people we like and admire and value what they're doing. And then the sky's the limit. Uh, we're not typically the first investors, so we don't always have as much say as I wish we did, because I'd like to set the, the stage a little bit more equitably from the start, because I think that sets a tone. So the more we have people like yourselves showing entrepreneurs, they can ask for different terms and, and then get the kind of investors that believe and support them on that journey. Yeah, that's really great. And it is all about, we weren't naive about the fact that it was going to be an extraordinary amount of work to create a rivaling finance ecosystem that was much more democratic and equitable. But I'm wondering what you, what you have to say to encourage people who know in their hearts that their investments are not truly aligned with their values and what are some of the things that they can do to get more comfortable with making some of those uh, direct investment decisions? We know that in our own experience, we're seeing fantastically that many financial advisors are starting to talk to their clients about what percentage of their portfolio makes sense to allocate to something like direct investing as potentially a, a first step or a, a step that helps them diversify. Are there any insights or wisdom advice you could give to people who truly would love to become more thoughtful, more mindful investors? I think uh, a lot of it has to do with community for me. Um, this is hard to do by yourself. So I don't know if, if it's appropriate to plug uh, Janine Furpo's new book on Activate Your Money, but uh, we're going to be doing a three-part series with Janine through Social Venture Circle. And I think the first thing is for people to develop their own investment thesis. And Janine has all these resources on her website for free for anybody to look at, to download the ideas for people to get more comfortable. And then you know, as you said, more investment advisors are getting savvy in this area because we're asking for it. I think we have a, a responsibility to be asking, just as, as Jenny said, entrepreneurs don't realize that there's different ways to invest. Well, a lot of us didn't know that there was anything but the stock market or money market funds. And so enough of us are starting to ask our advisors to pay attention to this space and not just pat us on the head and tell us, you know, isn't that special? And, you know, you take your dividends and, and invest them how you want, but my job is to make money for you. 
we found out in this latest crunch that the environmentally social responsible stocks actually performed much better in the end of the day. So it is an exclusionary. So I think, you know, getting together, there are cohorts. We're trying to get some started where people learn together as a community and you have reading materials in between and you get together and develop your investment thesis. And then you make sure that your financial advisor is supporting you on that journey. Um, not all of them do. And um, especially the direct investment, that's, that's a, a little more onerous. So I can't yeah. stress enough how important it is to have people to, to share that with. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We had Janine was a guest actually on Angels oh, right. of Main Street, which is a, you know, an investment club for people who do want to dip their toe. And one of the things that Angels of Main Street is doing is regularly conducting due diligence groups so that people can get into the practice of evaluating an offering. And of course, there's no no mandate that anybody make an investment. So you're completely without pressure, but you're also learning how you might find out you more, you know, more than you think you do. And by going through with other people, the terms of an investment. And I think crowdfunding is a great place to practice that. So if a platform like crowdfund main street has the kinds of offerings that at least appeal to you in theory, mission-driven, socially-minded entrepreneurs who are using business as a force for good in the world. It's a great place to practice reviewing the terms of the offering to see what questions you might have. So thank you so much for that advice about community, because I think you're right. We all need to know that we're not alone and that there are other people who can help us decide whether or not these things are a fit for us in our own portfolios. Absolutely. And I am a big fan of Angels of Main Street. Thank you, Babby. This has been such a gift. I just, I can't tell you how meaningful it is for people to hear from outside the box investors. I think investors have a reputation of being sharks. <laughs> And uh, it's investors like you that that make us have faith that there is a wonderful future ahead of us because investors do care about our future and are not just looking to make a killing at any cost. So thank you for being one of those wonderful investors. And thank you for sharing all uh, everything you shared today. And we'll have some more details about some of the things we discussed today in the show notes. So any last uh, words of wisdom you'd like to add? I think just enjoy the journey and, and feel good about what your money can do out in the world because there's some remarkable people doing great work. And if you find a group to do it with, uh, I can't tell you how much, how much joy and pleasure I get out of doing this. I think the one thing I'd like to add is that it's such a pleasure to meet with these passionate, dedicated thoughtful, smart entrepreneurs in the impact space doing pretty amazing work in solving difficult problems with sometimes simple solutions. I've learned so much about things I never cared about from kids' financial literacy to feeding fish farms to water purification to medical devices and you get the opportunity to talk to leading experts in the field who are advisors, to board members who are 
uh, top notch and dedicated to other investors who are in this space. But I think it's really important to keep in mind that it may be fun for us and it may be a hobby. This is someone's livelihood. This is someone's dream and how they hope to support their families. These entrepreneurs have ailing parents, uh, dealing with COVID, sick pet, children trying to do online learning. And I think it's really important for us to remember not to burden them too much with lots of questions and details and really to remember that there's an individual on the other side of that phone call or Zoom box or coffee meeting and to be respectful of their time and to know that they're vulnerable. They're not only trying to raise money, they're trying to run their businesses and they may be working another job to support themselves and feed their families. So um, there's a blog out there. I won't, I won't call attention to it of a, a brilliant young woman who actually had a mental breakdown and um, is very public about it from Misfit Juice. Actually, I will share because she's been very public because it's so stressful for these entrepreneurs. So I think it's important for us to keep that in mind and to know that we should be working with other angel groups, with other investors, to combining efforts, to reading the reports that others have done, and not to take up precious time of advisors and entrepreneurs, unless we're really sure of what we're going to make a commitment and get to an answer quickly so that this entrepreneur isn't left hanging. So enjoy the journey and keep in mind we're working with terrific individuals. So thank you. Oh, thank you so yeah. much, Bobby. Thank All you. All right. Yes. Have a wonderful day. And thank you everyone for joining us on the Capital Insight Podcast.